Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. From Fuller Seminary in Southern California. He is a conference speaker and author of several books, including Mizizi, Plugging Into Your God Purpose, a discipleship manual that has been translated into different languages and used in many churches across the world. He is passionate about investing in the next generation of leaders, investing in marriages, and together with his wife Carol, they run Couples and Money, an online course. When he's not investing in others, he enjoys gardening and spending time with family. Please welcome to the gathering, Muridi Wanjao, a.k.a. Pastor M. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. Wow, it's an honor to be here. It's great to be here. And I just want to say, I just called. From Kenya, we want to say, we just called to say we love you. We really do. And uh, it's such an honor for us to be here. We're here with a team of 90 people from Mavuno Church. And we're so excited to be part of what God is doing uh, here, not just Mavuno Nairobi, but Mavuno Uganda as well. Uh, we're so excited. And uh, we, love, we love Transform. We love Worship Harvest. We love Pastor Mose and Pastor Ari. Uh, we're your fans. We cheer for you. We want to see you succeed. We want to see God's glory being shown in Uganda. We want to see Uganda being the true pearl of Africa that changes and brings a light to the rest of us. We are so excited to partner with the fire that God is starting in this place. And so it's a joy. I really think it's, a, it's such a joy for me uh, to be here. Uh, this week, I did something that I've never done anywhere else. I actually launched a book uh, in Uganda. So the book, those of you who got the book that was a giveaway at Transform, it's never been sold before. I, I saw my first copy when somebody brought me a copy to sign. And so it's the first time ever. And that book, don't show off too much because, don't put on social media too much because people in Nairobi don't know it's out yet. Uh, so, but there are going to be some copies uh, for those who didn't get them yesterday. Uh, let me also say that, my goodness, yesterday, for those of you who missed yesterday, yesterday was fire. Yesterday was amazing. And I just, my mind was just spinning. Every single talk that was given. I don't know what your highlights was. Uh, my, my, I just remember momentum is a leader's best friend. I, I don't know. I was just, I went home just thinking about momentum. Uh, you only qualify for the next level when you become overqualified for your current level. Whoa. I mean, that is just fire, isn't it? It's like some of this stuff is, is uh, you are special right from the inside. And I'll never forget my DNA from now on. I know that I go 72, 72 times to the sun. I mean, it's like I am special. You need to know, tell your neighbor you're special. I, mean, I, I will never look at myself the same way after that talk uh, by Dr. Eunice. Today I want to speak about <laughs> breaking out of our mental shackles. Breaking the mental shackles. And um, hopefully I'm going to get a little thing that works here. Uh, it is there, breaking our mental shackles. So that's kind of what I want to speak about. And I want to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. There's an incredible story in Judges chapter 6 that I really believe speaks to us and to our moment today as an African people. 
I believe that this is a word that, as, as, as I've prayed about this word, I really sense that God has given, is, is calling us to a new space. And that this, this word, this phrase, breaking out, this theme, it isn't just something that Pastor Mose or the team at Transform came out with. This is actually something that God is saying to us as an African people today. It's time to break out. And the first place we break out is in our minds. We got to break out in our minds. So if you're in Judges chapter 6, there's an amazing story there about a guy called Gideon. And it tells us the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. Some eastern people are invading your country right now. They camped onto the land. <laughs> okay, my word has gone. I shouldn't have said that. Sorry, Lord. Forgive me. They camped onto the land and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. No, not Gaza. Gaza. And did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians. And I delivered you to the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. <laughs> I say to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my God. God, Gideon replied, but, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you because your love for us is patient, your love is kind, you're amazing. <laughs> Lord, you put up with us. You put up with us as an African people. Lord, you're patient. You love us too much. <laughs> you love us too much. You don't give up on us. You see 
in us what we don't see. I pray this morning that, Lord, you would, by your gracious kindness, come and open our eyes that we would see what you see. And help us to desire what you desire. And break our hearts with the things that break your heart. And help us to understand, understand truly who we must be leaving this place. We love you, Lord, and we bless you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people say it. Amen. The Israelites were like most Africans today. You couldn't tell by looking at them that they lived in a rich, blessed nation. Rich, blessed land, full of productivity. You couldn't tell it because the Israelites lived from hand to mouth. Each man struggling to make a living, hustling, barely making it for themselves. Although they lived in a country that was amazing and protected, you couldn't guess it because rather than living in the dignity of homes, they lived in caves, in mountaintops, in shelters. Their economy was completely suppressed by others. They were functionaries of other people's pleasure. And their enemies came and took their harvests at will. Not just to feed themselves, but to feed their animals as well. That's the indignity that these people were subjected to every day. It was actually what we call psychological warfare. And it was working. It was working. Is it working? <laughs> it was working. How else do you explain Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press? You know, it's interesting. Some of us have been saved for very long. And when you're saved for too long, the Bible loses its shock value. You sort of read it and it feels like something you read in Sunday school. And you, sh you lose the shock of reading the Bible and the things it says. By the way, 80% of the things in the Bible are shocking. If you read them with an, a sanctified imagination. And if you just open your mind to understand what is going on here. I mean, did you notice a wine press threshing wheat in a wine press? Have you ever seen a wine press? A wine press is a hole in the ground. It's a sheltered space. It's a space where you make... Okay, come on, it's not a trick question. <laughs> you make wine. That's a place you make wine. You don't want too much oxygen. You want the place to, the climate to be controlled in a sudden way so your grapes don't oxidize before they should. But Gideon wasn't making wine. He was threshing wheat. Now, when you thresh wheat, basically what you're doing is you're separating the wheat, the kernel, from the chaff. So what you want to do is as you thresh it, we do this in our villages, don't we? You've seen the women doing that. The idea is what? That the wind will come and blow away the chaff and leave the wheat. But there's no wind in a wine press. So, so this guy is doing something completely, it doesn't make sense. His whole worldview is dominated by his enemy. His enemy has conquered his mind. What is a, what, what is a worldview? A worldview, we're told by the dictionary, 
is a, a person's worldview is the way they see and understand the world, especially regarding issues of politics, philosophy, and religion. I like to say that your worldview is your way of seeing the world. Basically, the way you see the world, the way you understand the world. The worldview isn't talking about physical perception. It's talking about how you interpret what your eyes are seeing. It's, it's, you're thinking about reality. Your perception about what really works, about how things were made, about why things exist. And you know, the interesting thing is, your worldview is not what you say it is. It's, your worldview isn't what you say. Your worldview is how you live. So there are many Christians who say, I believe in Jesus. But that's not a worldview. That's a proclamation. There's a difference between a proclamation and a worldview. Because your worldview is seen on your, Saturday to, your, your Monday to Saturday in how you run your business. That's what really tells us what you believe in. If somebody sat in your business for a while, they'll tell whether it's Jesus you believe in or it's the Uganda shilling. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So what you say really doesn't matter. It's what you believe, your worldview. It dictates your actions. And here's the other thing that you need to know, that everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. There's a great Chinese saying. I just want to make sure this is working. Is it working? It's working. <laughs> There's a great Chinese saying that says, if you want to know what water is, don't ask the fish. You know, it's interesting because fish, they live in it. They, they breathe in it. They excrete in it. They make babies in it. It's everything around them. They don't even know it exists. It's so much a part of their reality that they don't even know anything else exists. The only time a fish understands water is if the fish is out of water. Just before it dies, it understands, oh my God, that was my worldview. Are you understanding? So many times you don't even know what your worldview is. Somebody looking from the outside can see, but you yourself may be completely unconscious about it. But don't be fooled, every one of us has a worldview. And when I look at Gideon's response, his responses tell me about his worldview. And his worldview and his responses are very similar to the responses that we as an African people, that we make. It tells me his worldview. There are similarities between Gideon's worldview and the worldview of Africans today. Here are a few similarities. There are four things I see in his response. Number one, we feel helpless. When the angel comes, the first thing Gideon says in verse 13 is, pardon me, Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? That's the first thing he asks. If, if you say God is with me, mighty warrior, God is with us, Israel, why has all this happened to us? You see, like, uh, like Gideon, many times we as Africans, we feel things happen to us. We don't happen to things. <laughs> things happen to us. We exhibit a sense of fatalism. I, I didn't go to a good school. I wasn't born in a powerful family like other people. I'm part of a poor country. I, I don't have resources like other people. And when we see problems in our nations, we say, why, what did we do to deserve this? When we see the politicians doing all kinds of things, we say, God, what, only in Africa. Have you ever had people say only in Africa? Usually it's Africans who say that, by the way. Only in Africa, only in Uganda. Hashtag only in Kenya. We say that. We have a sense of fatalism. It can't be changed. It happens to us. We lack what has been called a sense of agency. We don't feel like we are agents who cause change. We feel like we, re we react to the problems around us. They are the ones that form us as opposed to us being the agents. 
But yet the, the word of God tells us very clearly that we are actually creators. We are agents. The first thing that God says about humans, when, it speaks, when the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 1, it says the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the chaos, over the mess, over everything wrong. And he looked over it and he saw the mess. And the Bible says, and God spoke. And God said, and there was. And then at the end of that chapter, it says what? And then God made the man and woman in his image. You are made in the image of the creator. You too were created to hover over the chaos of your continent, over your nation, and to speak, and it will be. This is who you are. You are not helpless. Tell your neighbor, you're not helpless. You're not helpless. Second similarity to Gideon is we blame others. We blame others. Somebody needs to just, could you flip this for me? I'll tell you when to flip it. I, I, uh, I, it's distracting me a little bit. We blame others. So Gideon's second response, end of verse 13. He says, the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. Now, Gideon felt that the problems that he and the Israelites were facing were whose fault? He says it, isn't it? He says, the Lord is the one who abandoned us. This is, why our Israelite, this is why our enemies are oppressing us as the people of Israel. God has abandoned us. It's God's fault. Gideon was looking for someone to blame. And very much like African people today, we blame people. We blame colonialism. That's what happened. These people took all our money. We blame the politicians in our nations. It's their fault. If only we had good leaders. So we elect new ones and they become just as corrupt. And we say... It's, it's a problem is the politicians. Those politicians, by the way, come from our churches, isn't it? We blame the greedy leaders. We blame the church. In South Africa today, they are blaming fellow African immigrants. And we always feel someone else is responsible for our misery. It's not my fault. Somebody else's fault. But the interesting thing when you read this passage is, whose fault was it? The passage begins by saying that the sins of Israel had led them into the bondage. Actually, somebody was responsible. It just wasn't God. And many times, God gets the blame for things that God had nothing to do with. I say this in my church all the time. You start your business. You didn't even pray. You didn't even ask God what your purpose was. You saw an opportunity. Somebody showed you something. You jumped in and put all your money. Now you're broke. And you're, you don't even come to church anymore because how could God let you fall down like this? And I'm thinking God in heaven is like, again, it wasn't me. <laughs> that song was written about God it wasn't me I'm not the one who did it why are you all blaming me? it's not my mess somebody else created this but we love to blame others number three similarity I see with Gideon we despise ourselves we despise ourselves verse five how can I save Israel my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family what's Gideon saying he's basically saying look at me I'm the least qualified person in my nation to help others around me. Isn't that what he's saying? By the time you're saying my family is the least qualified in the least qualified tribe, and I'm the least qualified of them. <laughs> Isn't that just like a thing of like somebody else, anybody else in Israel could do this. I'm the least qualified person to do this. And many times we do the same. We say I'm too young, I'm too poor, I'm, I'm still single. Lord, when you finally give me that handsome man, then we'll change the world. But until then, I'm just awaiting on the Lord. I'm not going to be able to change anything. I'm, I'm still hustling. Let someone else come and do it. We, we think that people will come from the outside to save us. 
And you know, it's very interesting. I mean, I, I remember a few years ago going to register for, uh, uh, there, was a, there was an airline that was giving a missionary rate in Nairobi. And so I, went, I thought, oh, fantastic, I can get a good airfare. And I remember going to register for the missionary rate, and the airline said, so who are you registering for? The guy at the desk, I said, for myself. He was waiting to see somebody else. I said, no, it's for me. He said, but you're black. I mean, really, I mean, it's like, we know what missionaries are. They're people from other countries. You're not a missionary. Isn't that, we despise ourselves. When we talk about donor nations, we know we're not talking about ourselves. We, you know you're not talking about Uganda when you talk about donor nation, about Kenya. You know you're talking about people from, isn't it? That's how we think. I'm tired of being a recipient nation. I, I want to live to see Africa becoming a donor continent. And I want to see the churches in Africa becoming donor churches. That when there's a disaster elsewhere in the world, we're the ones who respond to it. Not because we have excess cash, but because our father is, a, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We're children of the king. Where does this poverty mentality come from? We despise ourselves. And then the fourth thing I see with Gideon, the, the fourth similarity with Gideon is we do our thing. We do our thing. You see, Gideon was not interested in saving anyone. He was interested in making some bread. He was basically hiding making bread for himself. This is the thing. I mean, I read this passage and I realize Gideon was actually not the poorest guy in Israel. How do I know this? Because a really interesting thing, read this for yourself later. It wasn't in my text. A little farther down in the chapter. I read this, my, my head almost fell off. I was like, I've never seen this in the scripture before. Verse 27 says, when, God, when Gideon finally gets his head round to following what God is saying, and he says, okay, fine, I'll do it. I'll go and knock down the idols of my father. I'll go and save Israel. He finally gets convinced after taking God through this whole thing of prove yourself and, 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 and make this fleece wet and then make this one dry. And after finally, he, he's like, I have no choice. I have to follow God. Verse 27, it says, so Gideon took 10 of his servants and did what the Lord told him. Dude, if, if I say Pastor Mose took three of his shirts, what am I implying? He has many other shirts. He chose three. Gideon took 10 of his servants. But what did this guy say? I am the least. Isn't that the middle class answer that Africans give? Am I speaking to any middle class Africans in this house? I have nothing. I'm just a hustler. You know, other people are rich in this country. People should be making a difference. After all, look at me. I don't even have a car. Oh my goodness. And God is looking at us and thinking, what, what, who has bewitched us? African people. Who has bewitched us? Nobody in your village has the education you have. But people are languishing. Why? Because you're building your nice house and making sure you have chain link fence so that your villagers will not come in and break in and take the few things you manage to amass for yourself with your great education. And you don't think it's your business to save Uganda. You don't think it's your business to save Kenya. But I've got news for you. That my goodness, God has a completely different perspective of you than you have for yourself. Like Gideon, we in Africa are held by faulty worldviews. We feel helpless. We blame others. We look down on ourselves. We look out for ourselves. And we are kept in bondage because of our wrong way of thinking. The first place we must break out is in our minds. 
our minds, you must break out. You see, your, 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 your worldview is your speed governor. It's your speed governor. You know, it doesn't matter. If you've driven a car that was built to, to, to go at 300 kilometers per hour, you know, it's interesting. You guys have some serious cars in Kampala. Dude, I've seen some cars in this city. Whoa. You guys, uh, there's money in this country. Is it porcelain? I think there's some guys who are tapping in. As a church guys, as a church mice are here worshipping, there's some guys getting that porcelain and doing something with it. I've seen some serious BMWs. And you know the funny thing is, if you live in Kampala, you probably don't know what a BMW was created to do. If you've never traveled, you don't know. I'm sorry. You know, you need to go to Germany and get on the Autobahn. I'm, I'm, so just in case you didn't know, I've actually been there, okay? So, so just, I'll, I'll just let you know uh, in case you're wondering. So if you go to the Autobahn, I remember one day I was on the Autobahn. My friend was driving a Volkswagen car. We were going the fastest I've ever gone in my life. Like it was 180 kilometers per hour. I was holding on like, oh my God, this thing is, I can't believe you're going that fast. And he was very casual, by the way. And then I remember looking in the rearview mirror and I saw a black dot. And you know what happens next, isn't it? I just said, the dot just grew, and then I had And I asked, is it a bird? Is it a plane? He told me, no, it's a BMW. <laughs> That's what a BMW was created for. But you know, if you're driving it in the city of Kampala with all the traffic jam and the pothole, you will never know what it was for, isn't it? Because your speed governor determines your speed. And I want to say it's interesting because we as Africans, we've got all the porcelain, we've got all the wealth, but our minds are the speed governor. And until we throw off the shackles of our minds, we will always go at the speed our ancestors have moved in. There's only one way to break out of the enemy's lies. And this is to see yourself the way God sees you. It's interesting, God, <laughs> God says it, Paul says it, be renewed. By the transform, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It, it, he doesn't say, wait for God to transform your minds. He said, be. It's, a, it, it's like, it's, a, it's an imperative. You be. In other words, it's something you do to yourself. You be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's interesting, God, God, God greets Gideon with, with words that Gideon would never have imagined anybody using on him. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Amplified Version says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of fearless courage. I love those words. I mean, God saw him as a mighty man of valor. God saw him as a warrior. God saw him as a nation deliverer. Listen to me, God sees you as a champion today. God sees you as the hope of Uganda. God sees you as a hope of Congo. God sees you as a hope of Nigeria. God sees you as a hope of Zimbabwe. God sees you and he says, God is with you, mighty woman of valor. That's what God sees when he sees you walking in this place. You may feel insecure. You may feel unqualified. You may feel overwhelmed, fearful. But when God sees you, he sees a mighty man, a mighty woman of valor. And in verse 14, God tells Gideon another shocking thing. Again, for you guys who've been saved for too long, you probably glossed over this one when we were reading. But it, it, it's, it's nice not to have been... Sometimes there's an advantage of not being saved for too long, isn't there? Because you read the Bible and you're like, what? It said what? So I'm, I'm one of those guys who actually grew up in church reciting verses. And at some point, I just lost. I, I, I no longer found the Bible exciting. And I began to pray, God, give me a sanctified imagination. 
Help me to read your word and see what people saw when they read it, when they heard you speak the first time. It's interesting. God says to him, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Do you notice that God didn't say, go in the strength I'm about to fill you with? <laughs> he, he said what? Go in the strength you already have and save Israel. In other words, you already have what it takes to save Africa. There's nothing God needs to do special that he hasn't done. He's already given you the strength to be the savior of your family. He's given you the strength to be the savior of your city and your neighborhood. Go in the strength you have. Second Peter verse 1, chapter 1 verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Life and godliness. Somebody said that yesterday. It's not just godliness. Life as well. His divine power has given it to us. Everything in Africa. Every need that Africa... By the way, I believe that the church in Africa has everything that Africa needs. We have all the resources. The reason the UN and the World Bank and all those other donors are in business is because the church has failed to do its business. Sorry, if you work for the UN, I'm sorry. If you're from one of the donor agencies, I'm sorry. I mean, you're, you're in business because somebody else has failed to do their work. We are a rich continent. We're a rich people. We have resources, God-given resources for this time, if only we'd listen to what God is calling us. I find it interesting that God called Gideon a mighty man of, of war, a, a mighty warrior. Not when he was leading troops in battle, but when he was hiding in a, in a wine press. Isn't that, it's almost comical, isn't it? Right there in his fear, God says, go in the strength you already have. You're a mighty man of war. So start by agreeing with God. Start by saying, yes, God, I'm a mighty warrior. Somebody needs to say that right now. Just tap your shoulder right now. You tap your chest right now. Say, thank you, Lord. I'm a mighty warrior. I am the mighty warrior for my family. I'm the mighty warrior for my industry. I'm the mighty warrior that will save Uganda in Jesus' name. That's who I am. That's who I am. Don't let your feelings of inadequacy or fear keep you back. Don't let an inadequate, faulty worldview keep you back. Agree with God. Decide to stop making excuses. Decide to stop focusing on your weakness or your past, where you came from. If God could only use perfect people, he would have no one to use. Can I say that again? If God could only use perfect people, he would have no one to use. If you think God uses Pastor Mose because Pastor Mose is so saintly and holy, I've got good news for you. Oh my gosh, he's my, good, he's my brother. I've gotten to know him well enough to know he's got issues. Oh yes, he does. Oh man, he's got, this man has issues. He does. But you know, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. You know that, don't you? Yeah. God is using him only because he said, yes, Lord, here I am. If nobody else will do it, I will do it. That's all he's waiting for, that faithful, available, teachable person. And he will change a nation through that person. So the point of my message, you need to see yourself the way God sees you. You need to see yourself the way God sees you. I want to just uh, really briefly talk about how to develop a godly worldview. How to develop a godly worldview. Um, three things. Number one, study the word. You know, I keep telling people at Mavuno, this study the word thing, it's not a spiritual thing we're talking about. It's a world-changing thing. This is subversive. This is, this is how you change the world. This is how you destroy the, 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 the strongholds of your generations. When you understand God's word, read this thing. 
Make it become your daily meditation. Meditate on it more than you meditate on Facebook and Instagram. Spend more time on it than you do on Twitter. Understand it. Read it before you read the news. Because that's the real news. That's the objective reality. Let it wash over you. I've been saved now by God's grace for many years. But every year, I read through the scripture. Every year, I read through the word. I, read it, I try to read it like a little child. And I switch it around. I try to read a different version. Or I try to read a different reading plan. Because I want it to be fresh. And the interesting thing is God changes my worldview every time as I'm doing that. I realize the world has a worldview it's trying to pitch on me. The world is trying to tell me that the best thing I can do for myself is protect myself. Is get rich. Is look after my life. Because no one looks or cares for me. That's what the world is teaching me. The world is teaching me right now that the most important thing I can do is go to, with my wife to Dubai and put a nice picture and show you guys. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> is, isn't, that, but isn't that the worldview we're being taught right now? Man of God and woman of God. Beautiful in Dubai. Hashtag blessed. Then I give a devotion under that. It was never look at the image of the person as they are. Ask where they came from. The Lord will take you places if you just wait on him. Meanwhile, what have I just shown you? A picture of consumerism. A picture to drive your envy. A picture to make you feel jealous. Oh my God. The devil is a liar. And we as Christians have bought into the worldview. We're doing exactly what the world do. it's just It does. It's just that we're putting Christian verses to endorse materialism and consumerism. Read the word. The word starts to tell you, my goodness, this is not all that counts. These things will be burnt. What will remain is what you've put in your mind. The word of God will never pass away. So read the word. And if you're bored by reading the word, by the way, pray. Because God is so faithful. He's, such a, he's, so, he's so kind. There are times I tell God, God, I don't feel your word. By the way, I'm, nowadays I'm so honest. I see, even, even in worship, there are times I come in and I'm like, God, I don't feel this worship. I just don't feel it. And then God just does a work in my, my heart. Because I'm not in worship to feel worship. I'm in worship to lift up the most high king. That's why I'm here. It doesn't matter if the chords are off. It doesn't matter if the worship leader is having a bad hair day. That has nothing to do with worship. The worship, the worship is not about the worship leader. The worship is about me and I have an audience of one. And so, and so if, you're, if you're struggling to, to read the word, just say, God, honestly, I'm not feeling this thing. It's boring. I'm reading Ezekiel right now, and I'm telling you, plowing through the prophets, sometimes you just have to say, God, help me. I know this thing is useful for my life, but I'm just not feeling it right now. And the interesting thing is God just begins to show you stuff. He begins to reveal things, and you're like, okay, God, yeah, I see it. I see how this is a word to my nation. I see how this is a word to my generation. And he gives you a word. So study the word. Let it wash over you. Let it consecrate you. Understand that this is the beginning. The issues of fear, the issues of comparison are washed away when I understand what God is saying to me. Number two, study your culture. Study your culture. First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, the men of Issachar, 200 leaders from the tribe. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. So understand your, study your culture. Become an expert at studying the culture. Harry Truman said, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. Are you, what are you reading? Are you, are you understanding it? It was uh, Karl Barth who says, take your Bible and your newspaper. Read them both. Use the Bible to interpret the newspaper. Are you reading them both? Are you, are you understanding? Don't just read the word and become an expert in it. Understand. Understand what Joseca Million is saying. 
I know you're saved and you don't listen to secular. But that guy is dictating the mindset of a whole generation of Ugandans today. If you don't know what your culture is being taught, how will you teach the word relevantly to them? You know, as Christians, we know that Jesus is the answer. We just don't know what the questions are. So we come to people all the time giving them answer, answer, answer. But they're like, you don't even know what my issues are. So understand what questions people are asking. Become an expert in understanding what the youth in your culture are thinking. You don't need to agree with it or even consume it, but know it. Become a critical consumer of your culture. Become versed in understanding current events. What do they mean? What's happening for Uganda? What's happening for my nation? What's the future of Africa? Where are we heading? You need to understand this in light of God's word. Number three, be a thought leader. It's interesting, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians a lot about the fact that our minds are unregenerate. He, we cannot presume, even as Christians, that we have a Christian worldview. And he talks about the fact that the, in 2 Corinthians 3.14, he talks about the minds of Israelites are hardened. They were hardened minds. Their worldviews were hardened against God. In chapter, 2 Corinthians 4.4, he says the unregenerate mind is blinded by the God of this world. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, which is a very powerful word, after talking about how the mind is hard against God, he talks about the fact that we must take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. What is that saying? It is saying that we must get in the business of shaping worldview and culture. We're responsible for worldview and culture. We take the thoughts, our thoughts, the thoughts of our family, the thoughts of the people around us, and we make those thoughts obedient to Jesus. That's our business. What does that mean? It means use your platforms to influence the people around you. Don't just become a consumer. By the way, I tell my kids, I'm trying to teach my kids how to use the internet now. I mean, social media now, because it's like you can't, you can't compete with social media. They live in the world. So I just thought, okay, I can't beat them. Let me join them. Let me show them how to use it. One of the things we've been trying to teach our kids is don't become a consumer of it. Become a producer of it. Use the platform to shape how other people are thinking. Have you ever seen people on social media just flipping through Facebook? It's like you're just consuming, getting formal, feeling so joyless because of where your friends, your married friends talking about their, girl, their, their daughters and you're seeing how somebody else has just graduated. You're allowing yourself to be influenced and your attitude and your mind view to be shaped. I don't use social media that way, by the way. I use social media as my platform to change the world. So every time I post, I want to post, I want to post sermons. Not preachy, but I want, to, I want to change worldview. I want to be an influencer. I want to be in that space. I don't run away from that space. I want to be in that space. Why? Because that's a space where everybody is. And I can preach to more people on social media than I can in this house. And every one of you has a platform. Every one of you is a media house. Every one of you is a broadcaster. So use your platform. Another way to do it is with the people you lead, read books with them. Don't just read for yourself. Get your staff team reading. Get other people reading. Shape their minds together. Shape your kids' minds. What are you reading with your children? Read with others. I want to conclude with a story. And it's a story about, I read this in a book called Anointed for Business by Ed Silvoso. Really enjoyed that book. And it talks about a prisoner of war camp. It talks about the five types of prisoners in a prison of war camp. I don't know if you've read that illustration. And it says, when you go to a prison of war camp, there are five types of prisoners. The first group is the submitted. If you just move to the next slide, yeah, thank you. The submitted. And the submitted are those prisoners that believe that the war is lost. It's too late. 
they'd better learn to compromise and live with the enemy. So their work in the camp, the submitted, all they do is work hard to gain favor of the captors. Sometimes they even become informants, informing on their fellow captors because they feel it's too late, it's too lost, we just have to help the people who are winning. And then he said, the second group are the resigned. The resigned also believe that the war is lost. <laughs> they know it's too late. But you know, the interesting thing is, they, feel, they still feel strongly they're working for the wrong side, the right side. They may not be winning, but they believe our side was still on the right. So what do they do? They resigned, they will not compromise with the enemy. They've resigned themselves to live as well as possible while waiting to die. They're like, I'll never cross over to the other side. I'll be loyal until the end, until my end comes. Those are the resigned. And then the activists. The activists are the prisoners who believe that even though the war is lost, they can do something to improve the conditions. Any activists in the house? So the activists, I mean, they're powerful people because they're like, okay, we, we, may, we, not, we may not be on the winning side, but you know what? We can cause trouble for the enemy. We can make sure that we improve the conditions of our people. So they're always there lobbying for better toilets, better bread, making sure the prisoners are not being mistreated, trying to organize and just saying, look, we'll, we'll submit, but let's, let's be active. Let, let's, let's, let's form a lobby group. Let's work together as prisoners to make sure we have good conditions. Those are activists. But then there are another group that I really like. They're called the insurgents. The insurgents, they believe the war will be won. It's just unfortunate we're in prison right now. But a time is coming when this war will be won. And so what they're doing, insurgents, they're working to take over the camp. Yes, they're prisoners, but they're working hard. They're trying, they're always whispering in corners. They're always looking for weapons. They're always looking for ways. And they believe our side is coming to win. But in the meantime, we can be taking over on this side. And what we can do is if we even take over, maybe we can barricade ourselves somewhere. We can keep those guys out and we can hold out until the war is won. And those are the insurgents. They're nice people. But then there's the last group. And they're called the agents. I even have to say their name in a whisper. The agents. Because these guys are so dangerous. You know why? They don't actually think they're prisoners. <laughs> you know, when they're agents, they actually think they're in that prison to win the war from inside. And so what prisoners are doing, they see themselves as undercover agents. They, plan, they don't just plan to take over that camp. They plan to take over that camp and then use that as a base to take over other camps. So that by the time the army comes, they'll find nothing to do. The war has already been won. I love those five types of prisoners because they talk to me about the five types of Christians. The submitted are the Christians who don't believe the gospel has relevance to their workplace, to their life. They feel that, my goodness, we're already on the losing side. Look at all this gay agenda. Look at all this stuff. The world is winning. Things are just hard on us as Christians. So what do they do? They try to fit in and to work very similarly to their workmates. You would go into the workplace, you don't see any difference between them. They try their best to be peaceful and to surrender in a way that makes them not stand out. These are the submitted. Any submitted Christians in the house? No, I hope not. If you're submitted, you probably are not here anyway. Number two, the resigned. The resigned are those Christians who have no hope that the workplace can ever be changed for the better, but they're determined to hold on and do the best they can in, the, in a bad situation. They are the ones who attend morning devotions, lunchtime devotions, evening devotions, doing their best to hold on until Jesus comes. They want to survive this world because this world is not their home. They're just passing by. 
There's a better place that they're called to wait on. They're just holding on. They come to garage to just get encouragement to hold on until Jesus comes. The third group is activists. They're those who believe that even though the world will always remain evil, some basic elements of the workplace can be changed. So they like to speak out against discrimination, against, uh, against unfairness, and they lobby their employers, they lobby the government, they want to make sure the best conditions are found in this place, even though it's not our home. And then of course they are the insurgents. They are those who believe that they should work to establish God's kingdom in their workplace and make sure that their workplace runs according to godly principles. They want to make their workplace an outpost of the kingdom of God on earth. And I thank God for the insurgents. I thank God for the insurgents. But oh my God, there's some people called the agents. You need to know these crazy people. Because the agents, <laughs> they believe it's not just their job to change the little place they work in. They believe they're there to take over their industry. They believe that one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of their God and King. They believe that by the time Jesus comes back, he'll find the world already taken over. Because they're going to be working like their father is working. And something is going to change in their generation because they have a dream to see this place change by God's glory. They're not waiting for heaven to come, but they're bringing heaven down. The values of heaven are found around them. They want to raise up and mentor other Christ followers. They're committed to the total transformation of the marketplace. And they see themselves as an undercover agent. What type of Christian are you? I have a secret for you. I know you call me pastor. That's my cover. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. But I'm actually Agent M. If my government, if my government knew what I dream about in my house, they would be terrified. Because I dream about ending corruption and closing all the loopholes for corruption in my generation. That's what I work for. I dream that no corrupt politicians will have any space in our country in my lifetime. I dream it. And I'm raising agents to do the same thing. I believe that if the governments of Africa knew what I really stand for, they would assassinate me. Because I'm an agent. And I'm not, I'm not saying this lightly. I really believe this. Because that's my identity. Ask your neighbor, what's your identity? My God, you need to see yourself as God sees you. You need to call yourself who God calls you. Romans chapter 8 verse 19, I want to conclude with this verse. The Bible says that the creation groans in eager expectation for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed. God is with you, mighty man of war. God is with you, mighty woman of war. God is with you, mighty warriors of transform. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555. 